For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Herb Hell. Uh, welcome back to Hertel. Okay, been a minute since she's been here, but she's been here a couple times before. Thrilled to reconnect. She was busy getting yet another advanced degree because she's just that sort of smart, good friend of ours, Young Voices contributor. Uh, Cassandra Sean's back on the program. Welcome back. Been a while. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. I'm uh, happy to be back. Uh, she just finished up yet another master's degree at the University of Chicago in public policy. She also went to a little school called Cambridge you might have heard of. I guess if you have to go to school overseas, that's not too shabby. And went to some place called UCLA. Uh, really sharp young lady. We always enjoy talking to her. Let's talk something kind of semi-domestic because it's only 90 miles off the coast. But it's been a thorn in the side of the U.S. policy and it's been a rough road for its people for many, many years. Cuba uh hasn't been getting as much press in the u.s as it normally would there's been other issues going on but things are getting kind of ugly down there aren't they yeah i've heard some people discuss it as kind of like the worst humanitarian crisis cuba's faced in the past hundred years so uh definitely something to be concerned about here in the u.s i think um now that's saying something if that is accurate considering everything that's gone on there over the last hundred years Mm -hmm. let's start with this because i want to start big picture before we get into the economic the current economic crisis and the healthcare crisis and the fuel crisis Some of that's universal to other parts of the world. Some of it is unique to Cuba because of the situation they're in. I want to start big picture, though, because our um, socialist Democratic friends love to talk about Cuba and they will blow off any problems that Cuba's having is like, well, of course, they're having problems. There's an embargo. Now, we know the embargo isn't what it used to be. There's semi relations. It's formal. It's informal. It changes. In fact, we're going to talk in a minute. Breaking news uh, just a couple of days ago, the Cuban government on financial reforms, letting U.S. money back into the country. We'll talk about that in a minute. Turn down the noise on that, though, because, of course, the embargo has an economic effect. That's why it's there. What's the status of that? What's noise? What is the embargo? What is the bad policy of the government? Where's the ratio on that so we can kind of get to the truth of what's actually going on there before you get to the specific issues? Yeah, I mean, Cuba has a, an embargo, or we have an embargo currently in place against Cuba. Uh, there definitely, th- there definitely is a lot of noise around, kind of like uh, how exactly is the U.S. kind of like, sticking its thumb on Cuba for no reason. Um, that's the first thing, and secondly, um, what is the U.S.'s fault? What is Cuba's fault? What Cuban government's fault? Right? Um, I think there's an interesting, uh, there's an interesting stat. I think uh, Russia has loaned. Um, I think two years ago they loaned Cuba over a billion dollars to improve its. Um, infrastructure and Cuba, the money is gone. That's vanished. Um, Cuba, 
they're they are also suffering i mean deeply from the diesel and with the fuel price crisis right now uh, part of that is russia kind of but they get most of their oil from venezuela so not really venezuela has their own um they're having their, their own issues over there so they're kind of kind of trickling back to cuba but yeah i think that a lot of the issues we're seeing in cuba is a kind of symptom of the communist government the cubans are facing um and less so much um the u.s embargo one great example that you just mentioned, Russia has been sending an infrastructure investment, a total of about $2.3 billion worth since 20, 2006 until 2019 when they stopped doing this. Uh, and back in, uh, let's see, what's this date? That's okay. Um, back earlier this year in February, Russia actually suspended their debt payments, said, well, we're warming relations. We'll just don't worry about paying us back for this. But that was supposed to go, and I'm quoting Reuters here, that money was supposed to go to, quote, investments in power generation, metals, transportation infrastructure. Well, one of the major problems right now, and we have all kinds of reporting that started all these protests a few weeks ago, is there is major, major power outages. They can't keep the power on. It's an overly hot summer there. Of course, it's a Caribbean nation. So, you know, the heat, it's hot. So there's power outages and things. So when something like, you know, the Cuban people aren't dumb, they know all this investment money came in, but they can't keep the lights on. There's no wonder there's protests in the country, is there? Oh, no, absolutely not. Also, like it's a dengue is pretty rampant and the the hospital system and like um, Cuba's kind of like mosquito, anti-mosquito measures. They've been kind of lax lately. So there's like a health crisis, like people are suffering and sick at home. Um, They don't have any fuel. So people are waiting up two hours and two days in line, sorry, two weeks in line um, for diesel. So like taxi drivers, that's their entire income. Suddenly their entire life is spent sitting in the gas line. There's food shortages. Um, it's a sign, it's sign of the times and the Cuba, Cuban government has to imprison protesters for six to 30 years um, for taking the streets and banging uh, pots and pans. It's it's very sad. Now, here's what happened with this. They went to the streets and protested a couple of weeks ago, but there was a massive crackdown. And the claims of at least 701 Cubans remain in detention from this crackdown. 622 were sentenced up to 25 years in prison draconian doesn't even start to to touch this the charges they leveled is the usual stuff when you want to round up the usual suspects sedition sabotage robbery with force public disorder they crack down on it but are they going to see more and more of this because the fuel crisis isn't lessening the healthcare crisis much vaunted we talked about some of our socialist friends they talk about free healthcare. well the problem is there's nobody to blame but the government is the healthcare ain't working right if we see more and more protests in Cuba, is it just going to get more and more draconian? Because I don't think the government's in danger of falling anytime soon. What do we make of the protests? Yeah, I'm I'm inclined to agree with that. I do believe it'll get more draconian. And I think the Cubans kind of had one of two options, protests and risk like massive draconian imprisonment, or they leave Cuba, which is why we've seen a massive influx of migration from Cuba um, the past few years. So there's human rights um some of the human rights observers, they're noting kind of some of the treatment of the prisoners in the prisons, the torture, um, again, these absurd prison sentences. It's not an easy time for any human um, living under the government oppression. No, it's definitely not. Now, of course, migration from Cuba to the U.S. is not a new thing. Uh, we have a long, long history and varied uh, issues with this. But this new batch seems to be a little bit different. Um, they're leaving in mass again. It's not the usual trigger. Uh, trickle that's been going. Um, what do we do? Because we've already got a huge debate about immigration and migration policy. 
Cuban refugees have kind of had a carve out over time, uh, especially in the, in the Florida. And we know about the Cuban expat community down there. Is it time to revisit our policy with Cuban refugees? Should we be doing more to encourage or discourage these migrations as they try to flee Cuba with all the Dragonian things and all the problems they're having down there? Just from like a human standpoint, I feel terrible for those living in Cuba and starving, no power, um, lack of medical services. Um, I do think that, I mean, Florida has a very close, obviously a very close tie with Cuba. Um, I think that we do need to reform our immigration kind of stance on refugees in general. Um, but Cuban in particular, I think there's a very like close cultural tie there. But also I think there there's something to be said about trying to encourage um, positive growth in Cuba as much as humanly possible. Russia has proven that sending money doesn't necessarily work for improving the situation in Cuba. But um, yeah, I think I am the same as many other or many other political leaders where it's kind of like, well, we have crisis again with Cuba. And it's sad that we have to review it that way of like, well, it's a crisis again. But the, mm-hmm. the government hasn't changed. The reason the protests are so draconian is because the machinery to crack down on that from Castro to Castro's brother to the current leadership, that it's, it's almost ingrained in the society. We, we talked about the political and the economic. What's the human rights part of this when you have a government that oppression is just ingrained into it? It's institutionalized is probably the best way to explain it. Talk about for a minute, because you study other parts of the world, especially somewhere like Cuba. It is an island. It is isolated in some respects. When you have institutional oppression like this, how much that changes the dynamic for things like human rights and civil rights? I don't think it necessarily like changes the changes the dynamic. I think it just I think we kind of suffer in the West from a lack of kind of like information coming out of Cuba. Like we um, citizens, we, we barely hear kind of what's happening over there. I think that's the first thing. And I think that um, once we kind of get more media spotlight around what's happening in Cuba, we'll be able to kind of determine this with much more accuracy. We've seen we've seen um, communist regimes fall before. Um, we've seen them stay in power. Um, I think with Cuba, I think the protests definitely come to show that people are aware and sick of their circumstances and they're sick of their government rule, uh, a rule by a government that's not necessarily taking their best interests at heart at all. Um, Yeah, you you see uh, these small infringements on personal liberty in Cuba. I mean, um, was it they have now have like a fish uh, new fishing rules where you can't like there's a big crackdown on commercial fishing. And so fishermen can't sell fish directly to their directly to the average Cubans. They pack this out to the state at state or state state organized prices. Um, very similar to things you see in like um production areas and communist governments. But um yeah again I think that I think the protests show they're high they're highly aware of the circumstance they're in and they want or change. Yeah. There's been a push um public relation wise public relation wise the last few years. They've allowed more tourism. They've allowed Americans to come in. Of course, internationals have always been allowed to go to Cuba. The accusation is that the Cuban government spent way too much money on the tourism stuff to lure in those outside nationals and not enough on the people and the infrastructure. That's the sort of stuff that's kind of the Band-Aid on the gaping chest wound stuff that really uh, destabilizes a country. So then you start putting power outages and fuel shortages on top of it. Like we said, we don't think the government's going to fall anytime soon. The potential for civil unrest, though, is really getting multiplied by the day with all these current problems, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think back to my my little fish discussion, um, 
apparently the average Cuban, they, they're, they get, they're only allowed freshwater fish, um, like catfish, but they see tourists eating swordfish and all the, like the nice fish caught right off the coast of their island country. Um, so I think that kind of stuff, like kind of like puts like sand in the moon, so to speak. But at the same time, I think that uh, the Cuban government is seeing tourism as like one of the main ways to increase revenue and pay for these things. So it's kind of like, I mean, in that regard, like hyping, 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 ramping up tourism is definitely a way for the Cuban government to kind of like allocate funds where they're lacking. But the, I mean, for the average citizen, it just looks like tourists have more right to live and thrive in Cuba than they do. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Sam joining us. Yeah, you've studied other countries and other governments around the world, especially dictatorships and things like this. This is the core problem with something like Cuba is there's really no way for somewhere like America where we want to have, you know, more freedom for the Cuban people. We want to have more economic opportunity for them. But when you're dealing with the dictatorship, there's absolutely no way to get money into that country that it doesn't go into the government's hands and then get misallocated by that government for their own purposes. And it doesn't get to the intended people. How do you set policy for something like this? Because, again, even the Russians who are friendly to that government, they poured money in there. That didn't do any good. Uh, China was going to do a big investment thing. They've pulled back on that with some green energy stuff. Britain has pulled back on some investment. What policy-wise do you do when you have a government that's like, we can't put any money in this country because it's just going to go to corruption right off the bat and it's not going to do any good? Is there even a policy fix for something like that? Um, it kind of depends. I think like some of these massive investment projects, um, put encouraging construction and development of these projects and closely monitoring it from a a foreign government that occasionally works, but not too often. And I think that doesn't, it's, I think China and Britain and Russia are thinking at this by not work here. Um, there's some like non-policy solutions that some like NGOs have tried. Um, uh, they do like small cash donations to the individual Cuban people, some like U.S. entities have tried that in Africa and they've seen that that works. But um, again, I think like the main issue is more like kind of just working with a government that has no interest in helping its people. Uh, yeah. And what the other part of this, Cassandra Sean joining us, we're talking a little bit about Cuba down today. Why do we have kind of a cognitive dissidence as America when it comes to Cuba? This, this is I mean, you're almost swimming distance off the coast. This is only 90 miles off the coast. That's a short plane ride. It's a decently short boat ride. This is a neighbor by any definition of the world on the world stage. And yet we pay very little attention to it. And I know some of that's just stalemate because, you know, the Communist Party and the American government, they haven't gotten along. It's been this way for so long. I think some of it's just probably, you know, apathy and inertia. 
Why do you think it is though that we don't we pay attention to other world events a lot more than we do with something that's this close and this related to our our country, both geographically but also just geopolitically? This has been a thorn in the gov- side of the American government, multiple administrations, both parties for decades, and we don't seem to really want to do anything about it and just kind of deal with the status quo. I wish I had an answer. Um, you're right. I think there's like uh, there's definitely a lot of pushback right now about like how much attention we give in Ukraine and we give other uh, other issues abroad. Um, but yeah, we do like I mean, Cuba is so close to us. Um, the Cuban diaspora in Florida is, I mean, thriving. <laughs> so it's a uh, it's very similar. I mean, I grew up in San Diego. We're neighbors to Mexico. Um, it's like you hear about issues um, down south, you see them occasionally day to day interacting with people you're around, but we don't do anything as a country. And I think it's a shame. It's interesting you bring that comparison up because, you know, I've been to San Diego, you go to Imperial Beach, you just walk down the beach and then there's a wall and it's like, yeah, oh, normally a beach doesn't have a wall. <laughs> you know, it's kind of shocking if you're not from there or you go to the I forget the name of the shopping mall where half the parking lots in Mexico, Los Americas, there, yeah. there's a freaking wall right there. And you're just not used to seeing walls like that. Is it just out of sight, out of mind where it's just far enough over the horizon? We don't have walls, but then we we have an immigrant. You know, we talk about the southern border. This is an immigration crisis. It's a migrant crisis. It's a human rights crisis. Is it just that it's just enough out of sight, out of mind that you don't have like we have the images coming across the border and stuff? And it's a small amount of people, of course. Is that it? Is it just an optics thing? I think it's, it's two things. I think like Mexico is not a communist government per se. Um, and so like, they're okay with reporting. almost showing some tendencies. So you might want to hold that thought. No. Yeah. The status quo right now has, um, I mean, journalists are allowed to travel to Mexico. You hear stories right across the border from like, I mean, at those areas in San Diego, let alone the border where you can communicate, um, with, uh, Mexican nationals and American nationals, but you, you don't really see that. I think the water is enough of a separation where it really kind of, um, it does create a massive barrier. And then you have a government that has no interest in necessarily entertaining bad press. Um, so it's, it's a combination of it. And then at the same time, you have our media where it's this issue is barely covered in the news, barely covered. I mean, you barely hear about it. Let's talk globally. Just one second. Let's zoom back out. Like we did when we first started to kind of wrap this up though, is um, everybody's having fuel problems. Everybody's having food problems. There's a global financial crisis going on. Talk about worldwide how it shows up places like Cuba, places like Sri Lanka. We've been covering a lot on this program. The countries that are already under stress when something like fuel shortages, like the Ukraine war, like food shortages from the Ukraine war. Talk about how these countries that are already on the edge, they go from bad to catastrophic very, very quickly when the geopolitic winds shift just a very little bit. Because people talk about globalism and they use the buzzword. It's an interconnected world, and this is the ugly side of that interconnected world, and it shows up in a hurry in, in diverse places, doesn't it? It definitely does. I mean, you have um, prosperous nations with sufficient reserves. I mean, even Europe is freaking out. Um, the UK is concerned about fuel prices, but then you, you look at Cuba, where, I mean, yeah, they do some a little bit of their own domestic um, supply of oil. Uh, they rely mostly on Venezuela, but any, I mean, they're reliant completely on their neighbor's conditions. Um, and when those na- neighborly conditions kind of turn sour, um, for Venezuela at least, or um, they have like a less oil coming to the country than, than they're used to, and their entire infrastructures rely on diesel, um, that's that's a recipe for disaster. And I think, yeah, you, you're absolutely right. We are going to be seeing a, a massive increase in protests because at the rate it's going, like there's nothing else to do. 
Yeah, they're out of options infrastructure-wise. Uh, Cassandra Shen, one last question on this. Just globally, when it comes to Cuba, when it comes to some of these other issues in the world, when you have a stalemate like Cuba's been, like there, there's a hard and fast stalemate here as far as American policy towards Cuba and Cuba's policy towards us, frankly. It, it's a two-way street. What's the better option for us as commentators and just the general public when addressing this? Should we be focusing on the people of Cuba, the human interest stuff, the human rights stuff, or should we be focusing on the policy stuff, kind of the more geo? Which one of those two do you think is more uh, going to be more effective trying to get it until this stalemate seems to loosen up either by an event or something else happens? Um, as far as like injecting into the public consciousness here in the U.S., I think absolutely the human- humanitarian stuff. I think um, us policy wonks, like we definitely kind of like um, uh, we kind of we appreciate policy analysis. But at the end of the day, it's affecting the average person. Um, But ideally, I'd like to see it like side by side. I think like you see a massive reaction, people being in prison for 25 years for taking to the streets where that's like uh, something you can do on an average Saturday here in the U.S., Um, but at the same time, you see these insane policy measures put off by a communist government. And I think that, um, yeah, focusing on the human aspects, but sprinkling in policy would be very helpful. Yeah, great stuff, Cassandra, Sean. Great to have you back. It won't be so long before we get you back again. But until Thank we you. do, let folks know what you got going on now that you got all this newfound free time on your hand now that you're not doing school now. Uh, wow. Let them know how to follow <laughs> you on your social media and what you got going on, my friend. Yeah, you can follow me at uh, Cassandra Shan on Twitter. Um, yeah, just politics and startups. <laughs> politics and startups, because those two things go together so well now. <laughs> uh, Cassandra Shan, always a pleasure to talk to you. Good to see you again. We'll talk again soon, Thank my you. friend. Appreciate the time. Thank you. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.